So let me ask you something, and I think I know the answer. But have you seen all the style tips from the clothing experts at Peter Millar? If you're a golfer, I know you know that name. If you don't, you should, because Peter Millar is all about quality, value, and style. It is the most comfortable clothing I have ever worn. Recently, I tried out a performance polo. Let me tell you about what I love about the Peter Millar polo shirts. They offer so much comfort and style no matter what it is I'm doing. They look great, they feel great, and they're so easy to take care of. Out of the dryer, and you do not have to take an iron to them. You never have to worry about what to wear for any occasion. Peter Millar is go-to clothing clones for vacation, work events, the golf course, even working out. Put it on in the morning, you never look out of place. You always have the right look. The performance polo is for you clones, I'm telling you. And right now, you can head on over to PeterMillar.com slash Rome and check out some of my Peter Millar favorites. Be sure to use my link and you'll receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's PeterMillar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash Rome, PeterMillar.com slash Rome. That's like my purpose, man. I just, I, I'm sick and tired of going to funerals. I'm just, I'm, I'm beat, man. You know, like I just, I can't see guys suffering the way that I suffered, the way I know Steve suffered, and the way I know Ray suffered. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is episode 45, and my guest is former NHLer Daniel Carcillo. Daniel played nine years in the NHL. He hoisted the Stanley Cup twice, and he played a rough-and-tumble brand of hockey, earning the nickname Carbomb after racking up over 1,200 penalty minutes in 429 career games. But he walked away from the NHL at the age of 30. And after the shocking death of his friend, Steve Montador, he took on a new challenge, becoming a mental health and concussion advocate. Daniel started the Chapter 5 Foundation. He works to help former players who struggle to find a purpose after transitioning to life after hockey. He's also the owner of TPD Hockey to help develop the next generation of players and to stay close to the game he loves. But he's also one of the lead plaintiffs in a landmark lawsuit against the NHL, charging the league with withholding important medical information about concussion-related brain injuries. I had the opportunity to interview him on my radio program last month, but I wanted to bring him on the podcast to give this important conversation the room that it deserves. Episode 45 of the Jim Rohn Podcast starts right after this word from Thrive. So check this out. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? You can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. Thrive Market is stocked with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. And they have everything you need, whether your diet's paleo, gluten-free, vegan, or kosher, plus personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, safe and non-toxic beauty products, organic baby food, kids' products, and much, much more. Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra 60 bucks in free groceries plus free shipping. Get $60 of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rome. Once again, thrivemarket.com slash Rome. And now, as promised, 
the disgraceful return of the voicemail segment. I took a much-needed break from it last week, but I am a man of my word, and I did say that I'd bring it back, so here it is. But can we be real? This part of the podcast is for you, so if you want it to survive, then you better feed that beast. Hit me up. Not many others have a voicemail that you can get at 24-7, so take this number down, 949-385-0447. Do your thing. Takes, impressions, drunk dials, smack, whatever, 949-385-0447. Lob me a call, get on the machine. Make the pod better, not worse. First new message. Dear Jimmy, do you love me? Are you writing? Say you'll never ever be from beside me. And I need Jack. And I'm down for you always, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Say you'll never ever leave from beside me. Message deleted. Next message. Rex from Albuquerque Rock. Vin Troyer in a Build-A-Bear box. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Rome. This is Jonathan in Boise. Just listened to the Abbott podcast. Fire, brother. He was already one of my favorite angels. Now he's one of my favorite baseball players of all time. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome. That's fuck. Call back. Message deleted. Next message. Pimp, FBA Mike. Hey, man, the smack-off was great this year, and um, I was wondering if you could pass along the following message to uh, Mr. Jeff Passon. Ha, 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 ha. Nice call, asshole. Really? What the hell was that? Najee Stampers thinks you're full of shit. Message deleted. Next message. Jim, I've been listening to The Jungle since 1996. I've heard a lot of clones and a lot of calls. It's no surprise to me at all that Brad and Corona won the smack off. His takes are fresh, his smack is hilarious, and his venom against other callers is ruthless. In my opinion, Brad is the goat of all callers. Message saved. Next message. Jim, this is Carl and Rosemead. You shouldn't have ran Stu. I've seen Najee Davenport many times in Rosemead with a boner in his sweatpants. War bisp, baby. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romeo, it's Caleb. I just want to say how cool I thought it was that Left got Mike Franzese in his smack-off call. But I don't know if you know this. This actually happened. Last week, Franzese tweeted that his followers should listen to the smack-off for, quote, a few extra surprises, winking face emoji. And one of his followers asked if somebody got to him, and his response was two winking face emojis. Hey, Les, if you need to keep a secret, maybe don't tell the guy who is like the Frank Sinatra of Canaries. This dude has no problem snitching on the mafia at the possible expense of his own life. What the hell chance do you have? You'd have a better shot at keeping a secret if you told WikiLeaks. And Jeff Passon, dude, I haven't seen a sophomore slump like that since Quasimodo was in high school. It's amazing that your phone quality was actually better than your joke quality. My social, political, and religious beliefs are one thing, but you out and out called me a racist for the simple fact that I'm a Brewers fan and then connected the dots to Charlottesville. Bro, don't pull a vertebra out of alignment with that reach. Since you don't exactly seem to be plugged into current events, why don't you ask Pedro Gomez to ask Tim Kirkjian to ask Jason Stark to ask Buster Olney if the Brewers are getting any middle infield help at the deadline, you galactic kook late. Message saved. Next message. Rome, it's Wells. 
Chael Sonnen is a douche-tard. Second year in a row, the guy makes the sorriest call out of anybody. I don't think we'd lose sleep if you ripped his lifetime invite. The guy's a fraud. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Big Chief City of City here. Hey, Chael, Jeff and Richmond hanging up the phone before we actually got a call on Friday was more entertaining than your entire call, you stupid idiot. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, what's up? It's Kurt in Memphis. I've been a long-time listener to the show for 15 years, and I thought the crew got it right. Brad and Corona crushed it. A um, couple thoughts on Chael Sonnen. Your call is absurd. It was ridiculous. We heard it last year. Ref and Laguna, i kind of warming up to him. I thought this call was a lot better than um, people were giving it credit for. It was not trash. I thought it was very strong. Congrats on another great smack-off. Can't wait for 25. Message saved. You have no more messages. Look at that. Smackoff 24 absolutely taking over the voicemail, and it should have. It was an amazing event, and I'm glad that a lot of you think that we got it right when normally you think that we don't, but there is no doubt. The BIC was the best of the best. Brad in Corona, the king of smack for the fourth time. It was an epic call, one of the best ever. Stick around to the end of the pod, and we will play it in its entirety. Man, you know the smack-off is good when you've got Caleb, who finished eighth, coming into the voicemails to take a run at both Jeff Passan and Leff. And you've got Beeks in Studio City, clowning both Jeff from Richmond and Shale. And FBI Mike even broke character, but it's Vern Troyer, not Vin Troyer, that Rex from the ABQ put in a -A Build-A-Bear box. Just want to make sure we got that right. Let me dial you in on Dollar Shave Club because there is so much more to Dollar Shave Club than even you know. You see, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. So much more than just razors. Yes, Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, and even a wipe for your buttocks. Tell you what. I'm a big fan of their Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. Seriously, it is calming. Smells great. And here is a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For only 5 bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. It comes with Body Cleanser, One Wipe Charlie's, their amazing buttocks wipes, their world-famous shave butter, and their best razor, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash Rome. Once again, dollarshaveclub.com slash Rome. Get anything you need at dollarshaveclub.com slash Rome. Daniel Carcillo played hockey fearlessly, barely six feet, and on his best day, maybe 200 pounds, he did not back down from anybody or anything. But now he's squaring off with the toughest opponent he has ever had to face. He's taking on the NHL and the NHLPA. He's standing up for friends like the late Steve Montador, and he's working with the Carrick Institute to try and change the way we deal with concussions. My conversation with Daniel Carcillo is coming to you right now. Daniel, I thought you and I had a great conversation several weeks back on my radio program, but I did feel like we needed more time and that this would be a really good platform to continue that discussion. So I really appreciate you making time for it, man. Thanks so much. 
Of course, Jim. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. I, I definitely appreciate the uh, the platform, and hopefully we can educate some people on uh, the advocacy work that I'm doing and my mission. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Something you and I were not able to talk about then, of course. And I want to start by asking you about former Blackhawks goalie Ray Emery, who tragically drowned recently. He was only 35. I know that you thought the world of him. He was just one of those guys who had this tremendous it that we always talk about. Like, it's hard to describe, mm-hmm. but you know it when you see it. What was Ray like both on and off the ice? Oh, um, he was a selfless guy. Um, you know, very much like um, very much like Steve Monador in a lot of ways. Um, he always wanted to make people happy. Uh, you never saw him in a bad mood. Happy-go-lucky. Um, obviously a fierce competitor. Uh, he <clears throat> came back from that uh, hip disease. Um, only him and Bo Jackson have done that. Uh, to come back and play goalie is, uh, is pretty remarkable. Um, I had the pleasure of playing with him in Philadelphia and getting to know him on that team and uh, our run in, in 2010 and and then he, well, we followed each other to Chicago and ended up winning a, a Stanley Cup together in 2013. And um, it's really hard to lose people like that, like him, uh, just because um, I, I'm the type of person I don't connect uh, deeply on a deep level with too many people. And he's one of those people that you always kind of long to be around. Anytime he was in town, I made sure I went to see him. Um, and uh, the last time we hung out was actually in Florida when he was with Dave Boland, and, and they were really good friends as well. But uh, just a really, really hard loss to swallow, um, something that I think could have could have been prevented um, had he been around the right people. And, um, you know, I went back up to Toronto um, the other day just to, to honor him and, and be by him and um, you know, I got to get some type of closure and see some of his friends and his mom and his dad. And, um, but it's it's never easy losing somebody like that. Um, and so what I've done is just like I do with everything else. I just have to throw myself into into other things, and um, I think about them, you know, pretty much every day. And I'm just uh, right now just trying to get by, working on my property here, and and. Uh, um, and speaking, you know, talking to buddies and just telling stories and, um, you know, trying to remember him in the light that he'd want us to remember him. In. You know, let me ask you one more thing about that. When did you last see him? And then what did he say to you that day? Yeah, so we were in Florida. Um, we went golfing uh, and he looked at me, you know, how, you know, how guys get together and, and you're talking about things that, you know, kind of irk you and, um, you know, you're griping. Uh, one of the things that we always like to do in, in, uh, in the dressing room is talk about how bad our life is and how tough our life is and how sore we are. So we were on the golf course and we just got to talking and, um, he basically, you know, looked at me right in the eye and, and said, Hey, you know, you're, you're really, really lucky. You have something that I've been looking for um you have a beautiful family of two beautiful kids a beautiful wife everybody's healthy happy and he basically said don't fuck it up <laughs> and uh, i'm trying my best not to do that and uh and it really hit home you know i was actually in uh, in my life I, I really do believe everything's planned out i really do believe that everything happens for a reason and i was in a pretty i was in a pretty bad space right before his death and uh, a week before his death and believe it or not, his death brought me out of that. And it gave me, you know, kind of 
lit a fire under my ass and I looked around at what I have and, and those last words and I remembered our last conversation and uh, it's it's um it's really tough. It's it's not not easy but I'm not gonna let those words um go by the wayside and I'm gonna do my best to make him proud. You know, it's it's got to be so challenging. And it's got to be so tough. It's so sad. You know, before we talk about your mission, you just said, Daniel, that you were in a really bad place a week prior to his passing. Can you kind of get into that? What were you dealing with at that point? Um, just a lot of stress. Um, I have a lot of a lot of things going on. Um, <clears throat> I have my third child who's due on Friday. I have this house renovation going on. I'm renovating the land around my property. Um, I have my business, uh, Total Player Development. I have my foundation, Chapter 5 Foundation. Uh, I have, you know, I'm trying to be a husband, uh, a good father. Um, so there's, there's just there's a lot going on. Uh, as far as the advocacy work, uh, I went to New York actually when, after I saw you, after the hashtag sports, and then I came in um, and we did that interview. Um, <clears throat> I kind of crashed. It had been like four or five months of just straight, getting up for four hours, hammering information. Uh, and I wasn't very active before March 1st um, on social media. And reading the comments and doing the Players' Tribune video and that coming out, it was just a really, really emotional time. And I just, I'm, like I usually do, um, I just kind of, you know, I usually go in really, really hard and then I kind of step back and I, and I take a rest. And um, so it, it definitely was a very emotional time. Um, and after New York and the travel, and I went back home real quick and, and came back to Chicago. Getting back into everything was just really um, draining, and I needed to take some time for myself, so I kind of took a step away, um, stopped with the informational stuff and, and attacking the NHL and the NHLPA for, you know, a, about a week and just kind of gathered myself. Um, and then, you know, and then I got the, inf- I got the news about Ray, um, Sunday and and that whole week I mean most people that might bring them down even further for me I used it as a sign and I used it as get the fuck up get off your ass stop feeling sorry for yourself stop stressing out look at what you have you're a very lucky man and and get to work you know and and honor your friend the best that you can so my man and that's powerful that's great you know, you know, when you retired in 2015, you and I had a part of this conversation. But again, Daniel, there are people listening who did not hear that conversation. But when you retired in 2015, you did write that piece for the Players' Tribune about Steve Montador. For those who do not know, what was Steve like as a player and as a friend? Um, Steve was like me, just scrappy, small, undersized, cared about his teammates, cared about I say teammates, I mean, he cared about the people on the team, right? I mean, I talk a lot about this that, you know, I'm not a hockey player named Daniel. I'm Daniel, and I played hockey. And Steve and even Ray, like, took a vested interest in in where you were going to eat. Um, What concerts are you going to see? You want to hang out. Um, It wasn't all about hockey, 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 hockey. And that's why I connected with those two, because I was never – the type of guy who studied the game, I used it as an emotional release, and I think Ray and Steve did the exact same thing. And we we connected because when I got to Chicago in um, in 2012, I was sober, um, and he was seven years sober, 
And so we literally went, you know, lunch, dinner, <laughs> breakfast, uh, when we didn't go to the rink, uh, talking on a deep spiritual level about healing, about what we wanted to do after hockey, because I think we both saw the writing on the wall um, and the way that the league was, was moving away from the physicality and, and the fighting. Um, and just really, like, honestly, like, just a lot of self-discovery through some deep, deep conversations with each other. And, and it wasn't one day or a week. It, it lasted for almost two and a half years. Um, and then, you know, I went to LA and, and he ended up when I played in LA, he ended up moving to LA. And, and so, um, you know, we, we got to keep up our friendship and, um, he's another one of those special type of people, you know, and you, you know, when you, when you meet them, they have that it factor. They have, you, you want to be around them. You know, everybody wants to be or wanted to be around Steve and everybody wanted to be around Ray and, um, that's because for me, I, I just felt really comfortable around them. Um, and I think as soon as you feel comfortable around somebody, you can let your guard down and then you can actually open up to them and, and let a little, let, like show some of yourself, you know, um, there's a lot of like hockey players and, and athletes who, who say they're friends. And then, you know, when you're done in your career, you don't hear from anybody. Um, but that wasn't Ray or Steve, you know, it just, uh, it was a totally different level of friendship and we connected on a very spiritual level and he helped me through a very tough time in my life and I still try to use those lessons that I learned from him and um, I just really it's really hard to swallow with both of them because I really wish that they had help you know um, and I wish they had some sort of guidance like we have since we were 15 when we move away from home you know we move away at 15 to go play hockey and live with another family and everything's provided. And then I don't, you know, I said it when we last spoke, I don't know where the onus lies, if it's on the NHL or if it's on the NHLPA, but I mean, there has to be some type of, um, some type of guidance, you know, with a, the NHL is worth $4.5 billion. Um, usually companies that size have some type of transition programs, mental health experts, psychologists on hand to speak to, um, and I, I really do believe that, that it could have helped both of them. Um, Steve with the CTE littered all over his brain. I just, once your cup overflows, it's really hard to reverse that. Um, but with the treatment that I've had, if you can, if you can get that type of treatment, that profound type of treatment, identify the areas of, of your brain that are injured, stimulate them, build new neurological pathways around the dead neurons, you can live. You can live, a, um, you know, I'm living a happy life right now. Um, I'll probably have to go back every year. There's things I have to do every day, but um, my decision-making, my frontal lobe, my lower right cortex, everything's working right now. When that's not working, you can get into a situation where you decide to, in Ray's case, you know, jump into the Hamilton Harbor at 6 a.m. Um, and not come up, you know, at 35. They were both 35 years old. You know, um, it's too young. It's just, it's, it's too young and it's, it can't keep happening. I don't know why it keeps happening. There's only 700 guys in the NHL that, that play every year, hmm. you know, 0.0001% of the population. And you're telling me we can't help these guys in some way, shape or form. I mean, Daniel, do you, did Ray take his own life? No, no, no. He, um, <clears throat> he jumped into the Hamilton Harbor. And, yeah. Um, and he never came up. That's 
That's um, that's the story that we got from his friend when we, who was with him. So, um, you know, and like I said, that's semantics, right? Ray's gone. Steve's gone. Um, and there's nothing going to bring them back. But uh, I really do believe if they had some sort of direction and help and that they that this they could have been avoided and then uh, step take it a step further if they had the proper diagnosis understanding and, and treatment rehabilitation for traumatic brain injuries ray fought steve had ct littered all over his brain um i really do think that this this kind of stuff can be avoided You know, know, I mean, I want to get into that physical thing in just one minute, but in terms of transition, you and Steve, as you mentioned, would talk about this when you played, about what life was going to be like once you were done playing. What's the transition or the pivot into life outside the rink like for most guys? What's that transition like for most players? It's really rough. Um, Depression, anxiety, substance abuse, uh, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations, um, and when you when you list these these symptoms off, these are all symptoms of po- these are all post concussive symptoms symptoms, right? If they last longer than three weeks, that's considered post concussive syndrome. Um, and you don't get a call from the NHLPA. You do not get a call from that's your union. Which if it's a fifty fifty split, they're worth two point two five billion. And you think a company that's worth two point two five billion dollars and you service them for nine years that it wouldn't just be you know nothing you know you you know maybe some type of self-discovery work or or they can help guide you in some way shape or form like what i do in chapter five but um it's um it's a really difficult time and not only on the guy because all of a sudden you are now i call it the real world because the world that athletes live in is not the real world everything's catered for you everything you are pampered everything is done for you when you get into the real world um it is so much slower and we are highly highly stimulated individuals because we have to skate at 35 miles an hour down the right wing with nine other guys on the ice a goalie that we have to beat catch a pass on your backhand shoot it you know get your head up beat a defender all the while, there's no out of bounds. Um, try not to get your head taken off. If you do get a break on the goalie, you got to get your head up, look to where the goalie's, uh, where he's moving to, shoot accordingly, try to score. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on, and when you get outside of that world, there's no more dressing room, there's no more hockey community, which is very small. Um, it's very, very intimidating, and it's very, it's just slow. It's just uh, that's the only way I can describe it. It was so slow for me. And in the first year, um, you know, and uh, and one thing that I that I learned is that in hockey, they always talk about this. They always say that 99 percent of the people in the hockey community in the hockey world are really good people and one percent aren't. And everybody knows the one percent by name. You know, you just don't go near those people. And it flip flops when you get into the real world. (laughs) You have to seek out, and I wouldn't even go as far to say 1%. I'd go as far to say 0.5% of people. You have to seek out those good people, and and the rest of them are um, either out to take advantage or um, you just have to guard yourself against them, you know. And um, I just, for everything spiritually, mentally, physically that that the guys give, um, I know sometimes the public doesn't understand, but 
Um, and, and they say, you know, well, you guys are rich millionaires. What do you need the help for? But this, I'm talking about mental health, you know, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about financial health. And, uh, I was a 33 year old man having suicidal ideations, meaning I was having thoughts of killing myself. Um, anxiety, depression, light sensitivity, mood swings, wasn't being, I wasn't sleeping because I'm not sleeping. I'm not creating the right enzymes in my stomach. So I'm not hungry. Uh, substance abuse was part of my, um, recovery and part of my deal. Um, and, and, and that's, um, that's because I really didn't have the proper understanding diagnosis and care for my traumatic brain injuries and my chemical imbalance was such that it was causing all of those things. And like I said before, post-concussive syndrome, it only gets worse. It does not get better unless you identify the parts of your brain that are injured and help stimulate them and, and uh, get them back online. Because you know, you know how you see like these high operating people, like military people um, getting in their car, doing really silly things and getting arrested. Right. Sure. Like, why, did, why does that happen? Uh-huh. Everybody shakes their head, oh, he's an addict, oh, he's an alcoholic. No. No. His frontal lobe and his head and his lower right cortex and every, every area of the brain that we use every day, like an orchestra, it's offline. And if the violin's too high in an orchestra, well, it sounds really bad, right? So you have to, like, I, and the NFL guys and all of these guys, like, this is all caused by a chemical imbalance, which is caused by the repetitive head traumas and not the knocked out stuff, not the, not the, the fights. It's the, it's the sub-concussive hits every day, every practice. I mean, Daniel Francis, um, let, me, let me ask you, are the, are the sub-concussive hits an even greater concern than the concussions themselves? No doubt, yeah. I mean, so there's ways to protect yourself against this, right? Um, like in my gym, uh, I train 1300 kids a week and a lot of people get my narrative twisted that I don't want kids to play hockey. That is not it. You know, I want kids to play sports because it taught me all of the life lessons that I need to be successful in the real world. And I don't regret anything, but what we need to start doing is identifying when these kids are hurt and baselining these kids so that if Timmy comes in and he says he got rocked, well, I could put him on a balance test. And I could send that test to Dr. Carrick or, or a Carrick Institute-trained functional neurologist, and he could look at his baseline. He could look at Timmy's test after the hit. If there's something off, then he goes to see Dr. George, right? And then he's a better athlete. His hand-eye is optimized. His spatial awareness has increased. His peripherals have increased. So that means that the worst type of concussion you can get is the one you don't see coming. So what I do is I, I train these kids, and I train their hand-eye. I train their peripherals. Um, so that it better protects them on the ice. And it actually makes them better athletes. You know, it's a three-pronged attack. And even for, for young kids and for the NHL, which I don't understand why they don't want this, um, number one, it's the best thing for the human beings because nobody leaves the game or nobody goes home with a chemical imbalance, right? Number two, it's, be- it's good for the fans because you get an optimized athlete, and that's what everybody wants, right? And then number three you have less man games lost because guys are less prone to injury. You know, um, the simplest way that I could explain not treating and diagnosing a head trauma is if you tear your bicep 
<clears throat> do you just leave your bicep alone and then in two weeks you go back and try to do curls again? No. No, right? No. You get rehabilitation for it, right? You diagnose it. Okay, your bicep is hurt. Okay, let's strengthen the other muscles around it. All right. Uh, now let's go back and do and, and do another bicep curl, but with low weight, right? Ease into it. Like that. Think about that and for a brain injury, you know, and we're not doing anything for a brain injury. And the brain, it's the brain. It's not a bicep. It's the brain. No. So, Daniel, let the me ask you this. The brain is the orchestra. It, it controls everything. Right? right? So experts, yep. experts have told you you're 80% more likely to contract Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or dementia if you've had three or more concussions. I'm curious mm-hmm. what that was like for you to hear that. And playing the way you played, where you never backed down, do you have any idea how many concussions you have suffered? Um, yeah, so three or more traumatic brain injuries, right? right. So there's, they say now, they say... Um, um, Mild traumatic brain injury, a traumatic brain injury, and then a severe traumatic brain injury, which is like a car accident when you get knocked out. I've never been knocked out. Um, <clears throat> I fought a lot, but if you look at boxers and everybody wonders why boxers don't have CT, it's because they ride the punch. They see it coming. Your body is innately smart enough to protect, it, to protect yourself um, if you can see the hit coming, Okay. So that's, that goes back to the vision training that I was talking about and why I implement that with kids. Um, so like, you, can, you can better um, protect yourself. Um, innately, your body protects yourself by, by seeing the punch. And I've had, I went back and I calculated, <laughs> and, uh, and I've had, you know, I've played 760 semi-pro and professional hockey games. On average, now the experts are saying that you, as a, a hockey player, you are receiving a traumatic brain injury on average once a game. So that means I would have had 760. Um, and, you know, it's a scary, scary number. But I've, I feel sharp. Uh, my long-term and short-term memory is back. I'm sleeping. I'm eating. I'm gaining weight. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I'm encouraged, right? Like, I, so the thing I that kind of bugs me is when people talk about mental health and people talk about mental illness and people talk about brain injuries or being injured, they just talk about the injury. They don't really talk about solutions. Um, I have a solution. You know, I've sent 35 plus guys to the Carrick Institute to, excuse me, to the Plasticity Brain Center in Orlando, Florida, where I went. And there's still guys going all of August. And these are current and former NHL players. I'm not going to tell you who. I've asked them to share their story. A lot of them are really scared because it's a fear-based society that they play in and they're fear, uh, for fear of retribution from their organization because they play in a league that doesn't admit the, a link between receiving a head trauma and needing to treat that trauma. Um, but unanimously, everybody texts me and says, thank you for saving my life. Their wife will text me that. And then also, I can't wait to try out my new body. You know, so, um, and I don't have any stake in that game. Right. And, you I know, mean, I'm, I... just, I'm just a guy who likes, that's like my purpose, man. I just, I, I'm sick and tired of going to funerals. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm fucking beat, man. You know, like I just. I can't see guys suffering the way that I suffered, the way I know Steve suffered. 
and the way I know Ray suffered, you know. So Daniel, I I don't I don't want to get too personal or push you too hard on this point, but were there ever moments before you got this help? Before you got the help, were there ever moments where you thought, you know what, I can't go on? I mean, did you consider contemplate suicide? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yep. Um right before I left, actually. I mean I was I don't want to go into detail with it, but I did, yeah. Like I was and I'm a thirty three year old man, I'm financially stable. Um, I have, like I said, two beautiful kids, a beautiful wife, um, a great fucking business, uh, an amazing foundation that gives me purpose every morning. My advocacy work gives me purpose because I, a passion of mine is holding people accountable. And, um, and I was thinking about killing myself and by all rights, I have an amazing life, right? You have a dream life. Um, but that was brought on by a chemical imbalance. And I don't, I have not thought about that since since I've been back from the Plasticity Brain Center, I don't, I mean, obviously there's days I get anxiety, but it's not roll the dice and I'm waking up with five of 10 symptoms. You know, um, I go to bed at the regular time now. Um, like I said before, I'm sleeping. So now I'm gaining weight, you know? Um, so it's, there's definitely a solution, which is really, really, really exciting. Let me ask you this, knowing what you know right now, if you could do it all over again, would you still play hockey? Um, it's, uh, I don't, I don't like living in the past. And I, I mean, I played at a, at a time where you were taught to take the other person's will away. That's not what these kids get taught now. They get taught how to stick handle and skill out skill. Right. Um, so if, I don't know, I, I, I really don't know. Um, <clears throat> hockey was a really amazing outlet for me and I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have that. Um, you know, as far as emotional outlet, as far as the physicality, the hard work, the dedication, the teamwork, uh, the camaraderie. The camaraderie was the biggest thing for me, you know, like making a playlist and getting to know the guys and then getting to know their songs and then you play their songs and I kind of, you know, you look at their face and like, oh, you know, before a game, like just that little stuff, man. The that, room, right? The room. The yeah, room. just that little stuff, like the little, little things, you know, and and that's another thing. Like hockey's a, a, a really like the little things in hockey are what help you win a game. The one-on-one battles, you know, um, and and it's the same thing in life. Like the little things make me happy, you know. Um, the golfing with Ray, you know, in Florida, or you know, being able to talk to Steve for twenty minutes, or um, so. No, I mean, I really. I don't, I really, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, but I guess I can say my, I have a son and I am going to give him all of that information and then he can make his own assessment. You know, I'm definitely not going to put him in as his brain's developing at a million cells per freaking second right now. He's not going into hockey right now, no doubt, you know, because your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 22, which is really scary. Um, so what I know now, I just pass on the information, and you get to make your own decision. Yeah, you Daniel, if, if there's somebody, and part of this, I mean, you're like the rare athlete. You guys are brought up with that warrior mentality, man. Just grind through it, play through it, keep your mouth shut. If there's somebody mm-hmm. listening, whether they're an athlete or not, and they're struggling with mental health, and they don't know what to do, they don't know where to turn, what would you recommend? Where do they go? Um, are they in the NHL or just any athlete? Either. Either or. Uh, 
open up to somebody that you're really close to. Um, there, I, there's, there's guys in the room that have dealt with this mental health, with uh, mental health issues, even mental illness. Um, maybe, you know, take them out to lunch and just open up about it. The reason I'm so transparent about it on Twitter and Instagram, it's like, that's my therapy, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's also, it goes back to the purpose because I do believe if you tell your story, like I tell the guys, uh, that leave that clinic, like if you guys tell your story, you know, you're going to save somebody else's life, right? Like that's, that's what I tell them. That's why I ask them to tell their story. And when they're ready, I don't force them, then they'll tell it. They will tell it, not me, you know? Um, and, and I tell them that because I really do believe it will save somebody else's life. And I tweet the stuff I tweet and I'm very honest and, um, I'm sitting down right now and I'm, I'm, I'm just going back through my life and I'm writing a book and I'm just, you know, um, just for the simple fact of helping somebody else. Like, and then I get to keep what I have, you know, like I get to keep that peace of mind that I have right now, you know? So, um, you know, if that makes sense. No, that does. That does. You tweeted something and you talk about it being it's cathartic. It's therapy, man. You, you tweeted something on July 6th that I want to read you before I let you go. And it says, quote, mm -hmm. I felt the full weight of mental health stigma the past three days. Acquaintances, friends and family members looking, speaking and treating me differently because of the video I put out. Heavy stuff. I sometimes wish I can just start all over. I sometimes regret the decisions I've made. I mean, there's so much to unpack in a single tweet. Can you share what you meant by that? And what's what's some of that reaction been like to that video, which has had over 10 million views? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That was it's tough. I mean, so I'm, I'm a pretty sensitive guy and, uh, and I'm pretty, that's why I'm pretty private. I'm pretty closed off, um, to, to most people until I get to know you and I feel comfortable around you. And, um, you know, I'll just be dead honest. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, my wife and, and her family members are Polish and even my parents and my brothers, like, you know, they were kind of tiptoeing around me. And, and if I could, if I could, you know, speak to the, the parents or the brothers and sisters and try to educate them on how to um, talk to somebody who opens up about having a mental illness or a mental health problem. Um, just listen, you know, you don't need to ask them, are you okay? You, you don't need to um, avoid the conversation. If it comes up, you don't need to run away. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing. I get it for, for both sides. Um, and if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything at all, you know? And, um, it's okay. Like that video was, uh, that was like in the, like six months in the making. And I have a, I have a plan, um, that I'm trying to roll out, um, for this advocacy work. And, and I know people treat me differently, Jim. Like, I mean, people treat me differently when they find out what I do. You know, like it, it's the same thing to me, you know, Oh, I, Oh, you play hockey. Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden there's so much nicer to you. Right. Mm. I write, I write those types of people off right away. Right away. Right. Right. If you can't treat me like a, like a human being wants to be treated and now you want to, because you heard I play hockey. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not the type of people that I want in my life. Right. You know, um, and so, yeah, I would just caution people, you know, like I knew it's going to be difficult. I knew, and I still know it's not going to be easy moving forward with this. Um, but 
I have no end game in this. Do you know what I mean? I have no stake in any business or, or, or the Placicity Brain Center or any of that. I, so for me, like I said before, holding people accountable is a really, um, a really big purpose for me because I was held accountable every single day when I was under contract, you know. And one of the bigger things that I can't do is just sit by and watch my friends continue to get treated the way Steve did, the way I did, the way Ray did, as far as head trauma is concerned. Um, and, and it's setting them up for failure. And I will not sit by, and I will expose everybody. And, you know, maybe the next conversation we need to have is about why I think um, <clears throat> Steve died and who was responsible, hmm. you know, because... There's an organization that cleared him four times in 60 days for four concussions. And I really do believe that directly led to his death. So, um, you know, I'll be ready to tell that story soon. When you're ready to tell that story, I'm certainly uh, willing to have you tell that story. And I'd love to hear it right here. Daniel, in the meantime, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the mm -hmm. best way for them to do so? Uh, Twitter, CarbonBoom13, uh, Instagram, DanielCarcillo13. On there is my email. Uh, you can email me if you have any questions. Um, uh, an even better way to do it is, like, is to DM me or even just message me on Twitter. I'm pretty interactive. Uh, if I don't get to you the same day, um, I will get back to you. And uh, what I've been doing a lot is just uh, fielding questions about different uh, from different people about where a character-trained functional neurologist is. So, and I've connected a lot of good people with different doctors, and those are the only doctors that I uh, would ever recommend for, for treatment for a, for a traumatic brain injury. Well, I appreciate that very much, and I know they do too. This is never an easy conversation to have, but I would love to continue it when you're ready to do so. Daniel, I appreciate you. Nice to have you on the show. As I mentioned, uh, I appreciate the conversation you and I had several weeks back, but we need more space to get into this, and I'm glad we had that conversation mm -hmm. today, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jim. I really do appreciate it, man. I look forward to uh, hopefully speaking in the future. Have you checked the calendar already? We are blowing right through July. In fact, we're blowing right through 2018. And we all want to make sure that we continue to elevate our game to that next level and make 2018 the best year ever. If you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, listen up because elevating your game for the rest of 2018 just got a whole lot easier thanks to my buddies at Lumber Liquidators. They've got a new program, their LL Pro Plus program. LL Pro Plus is Lumber Liquidators' new pro services team that you can call on for all your professional flooring needs. LL Pro Plus will help you crush it this year with professional pricing and dedicated support to get you what you need when you need it. This way you get all your projects finished on time. LL Pro Plus also gives you the ultimate value and quality. And with LL Pro Plus, no job is too large. No job is too small. They can help you with anything at all. So put the flooring experts on your team right now. Now, visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or go to LumberLiquidators.com. That's LumberLiquidators.com. Let's continue to make 2018 the best year ever. Let's do it with Lumber Liquidators. 
Now, this is the part of the pod where I say goodbye, but this week I'm signing off until the middle of August. Ep 45 with Daniel Carcillo is the last one before my extended summer vacation, so I'll check back with you right here on August 14th. Until then, this is a great time to get caught up on anything that you may have missed from episodes past. Seriously, if you're taking a roadie, or you've got a flight, or you're a gym rat, or you've got your own vacation coming up, go back, check out the archives. Charles Barkley, Metal World Peace, Kobe Bryant, Elk, The Sklars, Keegan-Michael Key, Dana White, Adam Carolla, Harvey Levin, Bob Costas, Aaron Rodgers, and about 30 more are all waiting for you for free. Hit those up and drop me a line on Twitter with thoughts on your favorite episode. And while you're here, if you don't mind, can I get you to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future conversations? I appreciate you listening, and I will see you right back here for episode 46 in a few weeks. Thanks again. See you then. Brad in Corona. Brad, how are you? I'm good, Jimbo. How you doing, bud? Great, man. Great. Hey, Les, I love the start of your phone call both times it happened. The only thing missing was your producer yelling out, and cut. The sound was off, guys. We're going to take it from the top. And action, Les. Also, to be honest, could have used a few more gimmicks and other people on that phone call. I mean, if you're going to bring in Larry Brown, at least give us an update on his crank, man. Is he still whipping it around out there? What's happening? Hey, I love Carbone's call, too, where washed-up, modestly successful Steve Carbone got washed-up, even more modestly successful Cablin Asian in on a tandem phone call. Shawnee, shouldn't you be producing your own fake smack-off with your lame-ass friends where you guys make fun of the show like bitter bitches and then post it to Stucknut like you did back in the day multiple times? Hey, for those of you not watching on CBS Sports Network right now, I want everybody to head over to my Twitter feed, uh, at Brad and Corona. I got some really tasteful photos for you to check out. And a quick request, when you guys Photoshop these things and then pass them around the interwebs later, can someone remove that pimple from my ass? And uh, now that I look at it, I got a mole that I should probably get checked out. Hey, Jay Stu, maybe you can eyeball that thing for me and give me your professional opinion, mole boy. For the rest of you on the radio, I'll just describe what's happening I got really fed up with Matt and Tyler talking about how good-looking they are and calling all Americans fat because we're not all fat. So I got a custom-made banana hammock with Matt's face right up by my banana and Tyler's face around back near my hammock. Clones, rest assured, I don't want to do this. I never wanted to do this. I have to do this. This one is for America. USA! USA! Breathe it in, boys. Hey, I love the pictures Matt and Tyler sent in today, by the way. I just want to say for the record that you guys aren't even good-looking. You're just good-looking compared to Mark in Boston and Rick in Buffalo. But let's face it, those two guys are pretty much last-call slump busters for any woman drunk enough to go home with them from their local Applebee's. Tyler, uh... Apparently, the rhinoplasty procedure hasn't made its way north of the Canadian border yet, because if it had, you would have already whittled down that massive schnoz of yours into something more manageable. Dude, your face looks like that helmet Brad Pitt wore in the movie Troy. I also enjoyed those pics of your girlfriend from earlier in the week sitting on that motorcycle. Yeah, judging by the way you and your boy Matt like to make your sandwiches, I'm guessing that's probably the only hog she'll be riding anytime soon. By the way, bro, bring that chick down to Southern California. She's a seven and a half at best down here. And while we're talking about guys who will definitely be sophomore slumping this year, let me get to my boy Jeff Passan. Hey, Passan, you're an author. You'll appreciate this one. 
Jeff, did you know that Passin is an anagram of Aspan, which is a synonym for bedpan, which is ironic because your calls are all really smelly and you need to be disposed of. But Passin isn't the only author in the jungle, Jim, and I'm not talking about I. Ray Craig either. This is breaking news. Mark in Hollywood made the transition this year from actor to professional author. And by that, I mean he just writes home to mom and dad once a week asking for help with the rent money. I'm told it's a, an ongoing monthly series and quite tear-jerking for Mark's parents. I'm not saying times are hard for Mark in Hollywood, Jim. What I am saying is the only acting work he's had lately consists of trying to convince the cashier at Walmart that the dog food he buys once a week is actually for a dog and not for him to chow down on in the parking lot like they've caught him doing on the regular. Jimmy, I'm so glad Mike and Indy unretired the other day only 24 hours after no one cared that he retired in the first place. Mike's amazing, isn't he, Jim? Like, he genuinely believes that he is the best ever and that he's won every smack-off he's ever competed in. I should tell you he also genuinely believes that the earth is flat, pee is stored in the balls, and those bumps he got after hooking up with his cousin were just bug bites. So take it for what it's worth. Hey, shout-out to Cruz Pedregon for volunteering to put the smack-off winner's name on his race car for one race. Cruz, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth here, but, dude, this ain't the Indy 500, man. You race NHRA drag cars that last for, like, five seconds. The only thing quicker than that with less publicity would be if Vic and NoCal volunteers to shout-out the winner's name the next time he has sex. Ah, ah, Brad, Brad and Corona! And that, clones... Tyler, Matt, Mike, Mona, Cablanation, in the words of my boy Shaquille O'Neal, that is the difference between first and last place. So everybody take a good look at my Twitter feed and the monitors on the CBS Sports Channel right now. And Tyler, bitch, tell me how my ass tastes. Matthew, tell me how my ass tastes. Mike and Indy, tell me how my ass tastes. Cablination, tell me how my ass tastes. Everybody, tell me how my ass tastes. Left in legimic bitch, tell me how my ass tastes. It's the 